Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Calvary. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. Wherever you are tuning in from, it is such a blessing to come together in worship together, um, and we're just so glad that each and every one of you are here. My name is Dagny, and I serve as the guest experience director here at Calvary, and I am particularly excited to be here with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Now, we always take a moment in our service uh, to talk about the opportunity that we have to partner with God and to invest into his mission and into the work that he is doing here at Calvary. We serve an incredibly generous God, and we believe that we're called into that generosity as well. And so if you have a gift that you would like to give to support God's mission here at Calvary, you can drop it in the mail if you're not here in person, or you can always give online at calvary.org give. Now, Memorial Day has always been a very special weekend in my family because, as I'm sure it does for many of you, it has always signified the true beginning of summer at the cabin. Each year, my family loads up the car and we make our way to Green Lake, Wisconsin to meet up with my grandparents for a great first weekend at the lake. We grill out on the deck, we take trips into town for breakfast, we go shopping at the flea market, and we attend the Green Lake Memorial Day Parade, and if the water and weather are doing pretty well, we might even take a swim. It really feels like the beginning of summer. But Memorial Day is not just a time for barbecues and cabins and summer fun. It is first and foremost a time to remember and honor those men and women who served, fought, and died so that we could live in peace. And so if Memorial Day is hard for you, and if it's not a weekend of celebration, but instead one filled with loss and pain, please know that we join you in your mourning and in your remembering. And we have a wonderful prayer team and a wonderful staff who would love to connect with you and pray with you if that is something that you need. I think this Memorial Day in particular is about so much more than barbecues and summer fun. The timing of it makes this weekend an incredible opportunity to reflect on what peace really means because all around us we see chaos. We speak of peace all the time. We use it as a greeting or as a way of saying goodbye. We speak of peace as this feeling of calm when you're done with a long to-do list or this peace that comes over you on a slow morning with a perfect cup of coffee. We even speak of peace as the opposite of war or the lack of strife. We think we know what peace is. We strive for it, and we often think we have it, but then when we take a look around, whether it's on the global level or within our own families and relationships, it's easy to think that maybe peace can't be found at all. If I'm being honest with you, preparing this message was really tough for me because as I sat to prepare a sermon about peace, I was reminded of the war in Ukraine. I remembered the deep division in our country. I was reminded of the baby formula shortage, and I heard about the horrific shooting at an elementary school in Texas. I wasn't sure that I wanted to talk about peace at all because I didn't think that in the midst of all the chaos, I would have anything to say. But I realized that God has something to say, and so I decided to dig in. 
I needed to know what God has to say about peace within so much trouble. The Gospel of John is my favorite gospel, and it is often where I turn first when I have questions, or I'm confused, or lost, or just when I need some comfort. And so I turned to John 14. If you have your Bibles, or if you have the Bible app downloaded on your phone, let's turn there together. John 14, 27. I'm going to be jumping around in scripture a bit this morning, and feel free to follow along as you can, but this is going to be our home base. John 14, 27. Right before he was sent to die, Jesus said these words to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I can imagine that those words were as difficult and confusing for the disciples as they are for us because what peace could be found in the following days as they watched their rabbi, their friend, their Lord be crucified and buried in the ground? Or today we ask what peace can be found as war rages, as trials highlighting spousal abuse fill up our news feeds, and as families mourn their children. I think the key to understanding Jesus in this moment is that he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Jesus is making a very important distinction here. He says, you think you know what peace is. You think you know what you need. The world will tell you one thing, but I am telling you another. I am giving you my peace, which looks entirely different. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the word shalom, which I'm sure many of you have heard before, and this word is translated into the word peace. But like many Hebrew words, it has a much broader meaning than we can accurately translate into English. In the Old Testament, shalom most commonly refers to a person being uninjured, safe, whole, and complete. In the New Testament, this shalom is revealed to be the reconciliation of all things to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Shalom carries with it the idea of well-being and completeness and things being as they should be. Now this sounds wonderful, but perhaps like me, you have wondered if it is even possible to experience a true sense of shalom. This true sense of all things being as they should be, this true reconciliation the lack of peace in our homes and on our TVs saps our strength. On a global level, we watch the news and hope that some semblance of peace will emerge and last for a while, and sometimes it does, only for conflict and tragedy to break out somewhere else. I wrestled with this a lot in the past few weeks and started to see a pattern in the world's understanding of peace. The world's peace is based entirely on circumstance. And I don't think that's enough. That is not the peace that our souls deeply long for. 
If we turn to the book of Micah, we'll see that this isn't a new reality, and it's not something that only this generation needs to bear. Micah 3, 5 says, As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. That is how fleeting and circumstantial the world's peace is. And that is what Micah is getting at here. We are happy and content and at peace one minute, and yet ready to wage war as soon as one thing changes. We can find this kind of peace anywhere we look, whether it's on the news, social media, within our own families. It's easy to identify fleeting peace a peace that doesn't last no matter how hard we try, a peace that is merely circumstantial and depends entirely on outside factors. That is the peace of the world when we look around. It's fragile and ready to crumble as soon as the slightest wind blows. That is the peace that the world provides. But when we remember the word shalom, wholeness, and true reconciliation, that is clearly something different. Let's flip to Isaiah 54, 10, where it says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion for you. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. When we hold up the verse from Micah 3 and this verse in Isaiah side by side, the difference in the understanding of peace is so clear. The world's peace is fleeting and changes with the circumstances, but the shalom we find in God, this all-encompassing sense of wholeness and fulfillment and things being as they should be, that is permanent. It is secure, it never steps to the side, and it never falters, no matter how the world is raging, how many mountains are falling or arguments are happening, God's shalom never falters. It is always there, it is always offered, given, and available to us. We see this promise again in John 16 where Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the midst of stress and chaos, he offers us a peace that does not waver, that does not move, that is sure and steady, and is not based on circumstance, but based on the truth of who he is. Son of God, Savior, Lord, who conquered death and has the authority to speak peace into the storm. Now, as I continued to read and reflect on peace, I wanted to know then, how do I get this shalom? 
I believe that God's shalom is different. It's clear to me that the world's peace is fleeting and circumstantial, but I need something more. We need something more. So where do we get it? How can we find it? And in asking these questions, I started to realize another very important thing about the world's peace. The world's peace never really gets to the root of the problem. And here's what I mean by that. If we were to ask 100 people what the biggest problem in the world is today, I bet we would get 150 to 200 different answers, and everyone would disagree about what to tackle first, all to reach a worldly semblance of peace. Now, issues in this world are incredibly real and important, and I hope you don't misunderstand me. But when we turn to scripture, it becomes clear that even the biggest problems are symptoms of a root cause. Cleaning up one mess is great. But if the true problem isn't addressed, there is an inevitable mess somewhere else. And so true peace remains unfound. And in the depths of our souls, we remain unsatisfied. This isn't a new reality. The prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel both mention it and dealt with it too. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Or Ezekiel 13.10 that says, They lead my people astray, saying, Peace when there is no peace. And when a flimsy wall is built, they just cover it up with whitewash. Now these two short verses speak a very weighty truth about the world's pursuit of peace, and that is that the world ignores and covers up the root of the problem without ever actually addressing it. The world is content with sweeping the real problem under the rug, slapping a band-aid on the symptoms to temporarily fix the problem, and then calls that peace. Again, real solutions to real problems are necessary and good. But the shalom that our hearts and our souls so long for will not be reached through more funding, more reform, or more of anything that we broken humans could ever provide. In truth, it is actually impossible for the world to fix the real problem at all. The problem, of course, is sin. Our sin, my sin and yours. Our deep separation from God the Father. The fact that we are deeply broken beings in need of extraordinary repair. This problem, this wound, is the very thing that keeps us from experiencing God's shalom. And yet God, in his goodness and mercy, sent Jesus to reconcile us to him in order that we may experience it. Nothing reveals God's concern for shalom, for true peace, more vividly than his decision to send his beloved son to die on the cross. Nothing proves the truth that God desires real, whole, and holy shalom more than Jesus. You see, God's shalom not only seeks out the root cause of all the chaos and destruction in the world, but he heals it by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah 53, five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. Now we've looked at many Old Testament passages that mention shalom in a very prominent way. The prophets explain the hostile loss of shalom, but they also point to the future of a coming time of complete and full shalom for the whole world. We often read Isaiah 9 at Christmas time, but I think it is also appropriate for Memorial Day or for any day. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. God alone provided true shalom when he sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, reconciles us back to God. He bridges the gap that sin created between us and the Father by taking the problem of sin upon himself so that all who are united to him by faith may receive shalom. Jesus gives us not the peace of this world, but peace with God. Peace that surpasses our worldly understanding. The kind of peace that means while chaos rages all around, we can stand firm and secure and know that our Redeemer lives. Where the world requires continual sacrifices in order to maintain fleeting and circumstantial peace, God's sure, firm, and unwavering shalom is accessed by just one. And it is by his wounds that we are healed. This is incredible news. The best news ever, in fact, but it doesn't negate the reality that chaos continues. War rages, and the world's peace is so fleeting. So what do we do? Paul provides a reply to this question. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord, always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We go through life with stress, worry, fear, and anger, all in response to the destruction we see around us. But that is not what God wants for us, and so he sent his remedy. What Paul says here is that the path to receiving God's shalom comes from surrendering every situation to him through prayer and praise, reassuring us that God's peace will stand guard and watch over our minds and our hearts 
when things go wrong. The path to receiving this true peace is not a step-by-step process or a checklist. It's not a task to complete, but a person to follow. We are promised that in this world we will have trouble. Mountains will fall, storms will rage, but Jesus has drawn us close to himself and promises that in him we shall have peace, not in this world. He is the true peacemaker, the prince of peace who speaks calm into the storm, who heals wounds and whose peaceful reign has no end. This doesn't necessarily mean that the storm or the chaos or the circumstances of this world will resolve in the way that we want them to. And I'm not blind to the reality that sometimes even this incredible news seems empty or unhelpful. In fact, sometimes the situations get worse. But embracing Believing and living into this good news doesn't mean that we are told to just sit back, be passive, and do nothing when we see chaos or violence or evil. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And this is an active call. But notice he doesn't say blessed are the peace seekers or the peace enforcers. No, he said blessed are the peacemakers. He said, I give you my peace so that you can go forth and make peace in my name. Being a peacemaker means imitating one person. Jesus, the true peacemaker who loved the unlovable, welcomed the undesirable, touched the unclean, and forgave the unforgivable, says to us now, go and do likewise. Rejoice in him and walk in his ways. Imitate him and draw near to him. We are called to abide in Christ and rejoice in his promise of everlasting peace with God and then proclaim nothing but his peace. Jesus says the world's peace will only give you fleeting and surface level relief. But he says my peace the peace that surpasses all understanding, the shalom that I have secured with my blood and that I leave with you now is firm and everlasting and heals all of your wounds. He says, my peace will not falter. My peace will not give up. My peace has reconciled you to God the Father once and for all. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I, the Prince of Peace, have overcome the world. Now maybe you're here this morning, and like me, you've been struggling. You're crying out for peace in this world, or peace in this country, peace in your family and in your relationships. Maybe you're not at peace at all, not by the world's standards or by God's. And you're getting frustrated with the kind of peace that the world tries to provide, but you don't know what to do next because nothing seems to last. The reality is that in those moments, we are seeking peace in the wrong place. 
The peace that we seek cannot be found in the things of this world. But the good news is that the peace our hearts are desperately longing for has been made available to us in Jesus. I'm gonna say that again because I don't want you to miss it. The peace that we seek cannot be found in the things of this world. But the good news is that the peace our hearts desperately long for has been made available to us in Jesus Christ. And so my question to you is, what would it look like to seek Christ's peace first? To actively seek the shalom that has been secured for you through the blood of Jesus. It's not some far off reality. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. It's available right now in this very moment. And so draw near and seek him. Or maybe you're here this morning and none of what I have said is new information. And you are someone who seeks the Lord's peace daily and abides in the truth of his reign. And to that I say, amen. And so my question for you then is how are you following the call to be a peacemaker? How are you reflecting God's shalom to the broken people around you? To those who are hurting, to those who are lost, be that in your family or your friends or in your community, or perhaps more appropriately, to those who are angry and raging and crying out. What would it look like for you to be a peacemaker and to imitate Christ's peace for those people? The peace we seek cannot be found in the things of this world, and so we are called to be peacemakers. And the good news is that the peace our hearts are longing for has been made available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you with heavy hearts, but with grateful and hopeful hopeful ones as well, as we are reminded of your character and your promises and your peace. God, we do not have to tell you that this world is broken. You know it better than any of us ever could. And so, Lord, we ask that you strengthen our faith and our trust in the truth that your peace is so much greater than anything the world could ever give. Help us to be peacemakers in the name of your son who modeled what it meant so perfectly. And strengthen us to seek peace only in him. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us and the way that you have shown us mercy and for the reality that the peace of your reign is steady and sure and everlasting. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.